Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to... Let me try that again. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 458 of Longbox Heroes. I'm Todd, joined with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? How many of these openings have you done? Probably half of them. Because mm-hmm. I remember early on when we were working for other people. Yes. You were you were doing them, and then we got scolded that I have to do the other half. And then after that, we changed them up to I'm always even, you're always odd. And then recently we had messed that up because we had to do two in a row for you, and then I ended up doing two in a row for me on accident. Right, but that still makes it 50-50. Right. Okay. So about half. About half. All right. Why? You're, you're starting to sound more natural when you do that opening. Oh, my goodness. Only 458 episodes in, and I'm oh. getting natural? Half of that, but yes. Oh, I love getting natural for everybody. That's my, my dream. Right. And also, I'm just I'm buying back issues lately, Joe. Have you noticed that? Just for ads lately. Just for ads. No, I haven't noticed this. Well, I I put up Batman 237 the the other day up on uh, Twitter that I bought that issue recently on eBay because it has the official first ad ever for All Star Western 10. Is that how how deep the levels of the depravity of your collection is going to go now? Um, just for certain things for, for that. And then I have a second ad, which is a different ad, which is, uh, the, the first ad is a half page ad. And then in our army at war, I forget what issue there's a full page ad. And then the next month the book comes out. So I, I didn't get like other books with that ad because there's the half page ad and the full page ad. And I got the first half page ad and the first full page ad. So I'm good there. If that makes any sense. And now I'm good to go. So I'm sorry I missed that. I don't, I don't keep as close an eye on your Twitter as you do as mine, I guess. Um, uh, just because I have you, your notifications come to me when you when you tweet something that I that I'm following. Also, the person that you're talking to, or uh, if you just put out a random tweet. I only have I only have notifications for uh, three people, two depending on who you ask, who is who. Uh, <laughs> right. Because they're notorious tweet deleters. Mm. You got to stand your toes with these people. But we have uh, comics. We have a full show this week, Todd. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we do. Uh, John Constantine back in a certain place and then maybe another place. It's all confusing when it comes to labels. DC Sunsets, a magazine. Oh, a lot of sunsetting going on in the uh, world of entertainment and media. That's right. And then the Rob Watch is back, Joe. If there's any segment that needs a jingle on this show, it's the <laughs> sporadic. Well, <laughs> I have less an idea for a jingle and more of a sound effect for the Rob Watch. <laughs> okay. Um, also, conventions and free digital books and sales. Right. What we read last week, which was uh, Sea of Stars, number one, Fantastic Four, Prodigal Son, number one, and also Walking Dead 193. And there's a whole bunch of news that crept out over the week about that, too, Joe. We warned you last week about this, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm pretty sure everyone in the world knows by now. Exactly. 
we're going to kind of unpack it here in our own special way. What we're looking forward to this week, and I have a huge week of books, Joe. Huge week of books. Uh, <laughs> um, also, Todd's Art Attack. And at the end, we're going to have spoiler-filled talk of Joe watched the last two episodes of Good Omens, and I also watched them, so we have all of that. Swamp Thing, Krypton, and also Spider-Man Far From Home. And I'm going to ask the most important question in the history of Spider-Man cinematic uh history so can't wait to get to that oh boy yes so let's uh kick things off here with this uh john constantine hellblazer talk that you're looking at Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um the sandman universe arm of the soon-to-be sunsetting vertigo line (laughs) this october is launching a new Hellblazer Constantine book written by Simon Spurrier. Uh, Most notably, I think he recently did the Legion book over in Marvel, amongst many other things. But I think like his iteration of Legion is what got turned into the FX TV show. Right. And I guess this is starting off with a one shot and then it's going to go to an ongoing series just in time for DC to no longer Vertigo to no longer be a thing. Right, but if you notice, they don't say John Constantine coming back to Vertigo. It's John Constantine coming back to the Sandman universe. So it's not even like Black Label like or whatever that's going to be. I'm wondering if Sandman universe is going to be its own thing, too. So... But I'm ha- I'm really happy about this, because I think the biggest mistake they ever, they ever made was taking John out of the Vertigo universe and bringing him into the DC universe proper. So, I mean, I enjoyed Justice League Dark, and he was in some other stuff, and he had a Constantine book, and that got him on Legends of Tomorrow, and he had his own TV show. But in that, they brought him to America. He was banned from England because there was a spell that kept him out of England. And it just took everything away that... That John was the edginess, the darkness of Hellblazer, the Vertigo line. Um, I, I I think it ruined the character putting him back, but I am worried about that too because I don't feel that any of these Vertigo books are as edgy or you know dark as they they could be. I, I read the Dreaming, and I'm like, this is this is you know bland at times. There's no there's no teeth to this book, so I don't know how much we're going to get back of that. But I'm I'm both happy and sad at the same time that we're going to get this version of Hellblazer again. Well, no teeth. Is the Corinthian not in any of these books? Um, the Corinthian's in something that I saw. He might be in Books of Magic right now. Okay. But he has so, eye teeth. So you bring up a good point, of course, with them doing this Constantine one-shot in October, then rolling it in with the new book in November. As you mentioned, it's part of what's called the Sandman universe, and they're saying that new arcs will begin to kick off of the other Sandman universe books, Dreaming, Books of Magic, Lucifer, and House of Whispers. So it's very interesting that these books, which are currently Vertigo books, are being pushed as Sandman universe books. Right. Are these going to... I I don't think they're going to fall into Black Label. Are they just going to be their own separate nebulous thing? I think they are going to fall into Black Label as all the other Vertigo books. Like Black Orchid was in the Sandman universe. Um, 
books of magic was well that but i'm just saying like and these were the ones that were becoming black label so i don't know if they have a willy-nilly plan of what's black label and what's not i'm wondering if they're gonna have a black label with a subsection sandman universe that's right but or is it just gonna be sandman universe in and of itself because they just recently announced that uh, Gerard Way with his young animal imprint, Doom Patrol, is coming back because the success of the Doom Patrol TV show over in the DC Universe streaming thing, where, like, I assume that young animal would fall into Black Label, but would that continue to be its own thing because Gerard Way is, you know, his own thing? Pop- that maybe he carries a little bit more cachet, not unlike maybe Neil Gaiman who says anything that has my Sandman universe stamp on it, it's either Vertigo or DC. You can't put it in black label. You can't do whatever. But I think it it can't be in DC. You know what I mean? I think it's going to end up in – I think Sandman's going to end up black label. I mean, when does the black label end? Uh, 2019? Isn't 2020? It, it's supposed to be the 2020 Vertigo goes away. Right, so sometimes, so I don't think we're going to. I think whenever that happens and all these books switch over, Sandman, Books of Magic, all those. Remember when there was a news article a little bit a little while ago that said we were getting twelve more, another year of Sandman and Dreaming and stuff like that. When everybody was like, "Oh, these books were only both supposed to be one year," so I don't know. I'm like. Does DC know what it's doing? Let's ask that question. <laughs> right. So that's the thing. Like you announced that Vertigo is ending and then essentially a month before Vertigo ends, the last vestiges of what Vertigo used to be that's still hanging around the Sandman stuff is getting like new arcs. Wouldn't have make sense to make the Vertigo thing roll out in November. Like Vertigo goes away in November. The Sandman stuff goes into year two in November, and that's when they officially become black label books. Or if your plan is to do it for the 2020 fiscal year, hold off on the new book, hold off on the rollout of the new Sandman stuff, and then roll Sandman, all the Sandman universe stuff out as part of the 2020 launch of black label. Make these two things coincide. I get what you're saying. If it was me, if it was me, I would have left, any of those big books uh, like Sandman and anything that tied into Sandman, like Lucifer, uh, books of magic that were like not just tied in, but like they weaved in and out of the storylines and keep those as vertigo and anything else adult. Like you could keep, you could ch- move Preacher over from vertigo to black label seamlessly, transmit over seamlessly. But I don't know, th- these are the books to me that in that universe have that vertigo-esque-ness to them. They'll all they'll always be vertigo books to me. It's gonna take a long time to get that taste out of people's mouths for vertigo. But I, I, I honestly don't know. I see there's so many plans. I like I said, I don't think DC even knows what they're doing, what their plan right. is. And, and I think this shines a giant light on that. The fact that they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that stinks. That bums me out. Especially for such a line that was so successful. That deserves better. It, it does. It, it's, it almost seems like it's getting pushed unceremoniously under the rug. Yeah. So, more DC news. Uh, in addition to shuttering Vertigo, DC has also decided to shutter Mad Magazine. 
which they acquired many years ago with the Warner Brothers purchases and so forth. Uh, a lot of this rumor and speculation and so forth had come out over the days in between us recording last week and this. Uh, essentially, what they have said is it is going to run to at least issue 10, which is the October issue, uh, or until they run out of whatever they've already contracted as new material. Uh, they're going to continue to publish uh, the book, but they're no longer going to be making new material for Mad Magazine. Right. So anybody who has a subscription is going to get reprints. Mm-hmm. Like, so are those reprints going to be worth more, Joe, because will only the subscription people have them or will they go to direct market too? Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you can, you can get a subscription to Mad Magazine even now, like the cover price on it is six bucks, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can get a subscription to it for pretty cheap. But I'm betting that's going to go away now because they're canceling the magazine. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? Let me see. Because it's, I don't know what we're on, but it's not going too much further, which to me is the saddest thing. Because, I mean, we've discussed here before, I don't know, here on the After Dark, like, we were Mad Magazine readers. Yep. I think anybody who who read comics at some point, in our age bracket especially, bought Mad Magazine. Like, if you didn't have a subscription, it was like, oh, it's the Knight Rider issue. I'm getting that, because I like Knight Rider. Or it's the Dukes of Hazard, you know, issue i'm getting that so like i don't know how many i didn't have a subscription or buy every mad magazine that came off the rack but i had a ton of them you can go to madmagazine.com and click on the little subscribe thing and it defaults you to a three-year subscription oh boy right pay for that now with the paypal joe and see what we get well, and that's – I was thinking of getting a year subscription of this because I know you were saying, like, oh, you would get Mad Magazine. But as a kid, growing up, my mom got Mad Magazine when she was a kid. And when she – when I was of age, and I say of age, uh, let's say maybe like seven or eight, I started seeing Mad Magazine on the stands. And I'm like, oh, I want to get this. You know, re- remember when it was like a buck or whatever it was or buck right. 50. Right. So my mom's like, oh, okay, well, we'll get this because that was something from her youth. And then she gave me like a giant like banana box that you would get from uh, like the grocery store. Right. That was full of Mad Magazines dating as far back as like the early 70s. (laughs) And it was a complete run because my mother had a subscription to it when she was a teenager. That's fantastic. Right. Now, unfortunately, with the move, those, you know, going from her parents' house to the one house, then our next house, and then when I moved out, those were long gone. They just, you know, but I was an avid mad collector and reader, I would say maybe up until like 1996. Wow, that late, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Up until like right right after I got out of uh, high school. That's But fantastic. I had... And then I had all those old issues from the 70s and stuff, and they were in pristine condition or as pristine condition as they could be. But the problem was the box that they were kept in when I was living at home, we had a cat that would regularly like, crawl into that box and sharpen its claws on my issues of Mad Magazine. And a cat can tear like through two issues of Mad Magazine with one swoop. Right. I didn't know ma- bo- cats like boxes. Mm. Yes. 
maybe I should look on the internet for more cat information. <laughs> At the time, I didn't know. I didn't want the cat anywhere in my room. Uh, but it would stick in there. Now, well, does your just... does your cat now get in your comic boxes and scratch them? No, 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 no. Uh, the cat knows better. Right. This cat knows better. Mm-hmm. But I love Mad Magazine. Like, even, like, I remember in high school, there was, like, a big deal when Don Martin left Mad Magazine and, like, did a year at Cracked. Like, that was a huge deal. That was, like, wrestling-level NWO, you know, Hall and Nash going or Bendis <laughs> going to D.C. You know, that was a big deal. He he just went to crack to bring him down from the inside, Joe. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he was the Vince Russo of uh, floppy feet uh, oh. cartoon characters. Yes. So what's more iconic, Don Martin's floppy feet or Fred Hembeck's squiggly knees? Uh, Don Martin's floppy feet to me. Okay. Ah. But I'm sad to see Mad go. Um, even though I haven't read in a while. And it's one of those things where, like, Mad Magazine is like The Simpsons. In that it was part of many people's adolescence, teenage years, growing up. But eventually, you outgrow it. Or the magazine outgrows you. Or... Mm-hmm. It's making references to things that you just don't get anymore. Right. And I will say, because our retailer would get Mad Magazines for people or yeah. for the rack occasionally. Occasionally I'd be sitting at the comic shop doing my pool list or getting whatever. And there'd be a Mad Magazine there. And I'd just crack it open, careful, because I know somebody's going to probably want to buy this. And I'd read it. And now I wouldn't get everything. But, like, occasionally it would crack me up. Yep. Like, I'd be like, this is fantastic. Like it was still smart if you got like if you got the references and stuff like that. And sometimes they were just they, they weren't dated references. So you're like, all right, this is legitimately funny. And it made me want to buy an issue of Mad Magazine. So I'm probably that. gonna get a subscription of Mad Magazine. To run it out? To run it out. And then you could work backwards and get your Batman two thirty sevens. I mean Mad Magazine two thirty sevens and <laughs> No, sometimes I wish I still had some of those old issues of Mad, but then I think to myself, I'm like, what would my kid get out of a 50-year-old magazine that's making reference to, say, Saturday Night Fever or whatever it is, you know? Hey, Asa, do you want to read my Mad magazine where they call Mash Mush? (laughs) You will really like this. Where they call Star Trek Star Blech? Oh, yeah. The dorks of Hazard. And again, we, we laugh, but like that's where your, you know, more sophomoric stuff would come from. But Mad was like a juggernaut in the early 80s, late 70s and stuff. They had board games. Uh, they had a movie up the Academy that they disassociated themselves with very quickly. Hey, wasn't Alfred E. Newman in that? I think he was. But, so... It's sad to see Mad go, but the reason I bring it up here in the news segment is I see all these other people saying we need a Mad Magazine replacement. Uh, Whether it be Eric Powell, you know, under his Albatross press saying like, oh man, we need to do our own version of Mad Magazine comics people. And then I see the guy who publishes or whoever publishes Heavy Metal is like, oh, hey, uh, we could do our own Mad Magazine over here. And because I'm still on certain mailing lists, like whatever the production arm of the Adam Carolla empire is, <laughs> they're like, hey, we're going to do our own Mad Magazine thing. And I'm like, you know what? 
where were you people when Mad Magazine needed your support? And yes, I fell off of this, but I'm not a publisher. I have I have talent enough to do a podcast and occasional commentary for professional wrestling. I don't have uh, talent to write or draw or anything else like this. And I admit that I was a, I'm a lapsed mad fan, but let mad go away. Maybe DC will eventually bring it back as a nostalgia thing, like they're going to do at Vertigo for their anniversary. <laughs> I they, guarantee you they'll do a, ver, uh, a Vertigo, a Mad anniversary issue whenever they're like Mad, the anniversary of Mad, like whatever sure. it is, seventy fifth anniversary. They'll do an issue. Uh, because back when it was the comic, it was like 62, 63. Mm-hmm. And then they had to change it from a comic book to a ma- to a magazine because that's when uh, <laughs> William, William Gaines was also putting out the horror comic books. Right. The Seduction of the Innocent book changed everything. And then Seduction of the Innocent screwed over all the horror movie bo- uh, horror comics. comics. So they canceled the horror comics. And then the only comic they had left was Mad, so they just moved Mad over to being a magazine for uh, publishing to get more on to get on more um, news racks. Right, news and stands. then it wouldn't fall under the the comics code either. Yep, yep. Not that they were doing like anything wild and crazy over there, mm-hmm. but they could do a little like when it was a comic book, they did a little bit more uh, parody of the comic stuff. You know, your horror stuff but that was gone or superhero stuff or whatever it was and now that they moved over to being a magazine they could kind of do TV shows and movies and political stuff and they weren't kind of pigeonholed to just being comics right and I even remember getting the mad annuals they did reprints of the original comics like bound into the annuals Mm -hmm. as well and I had all those and you know, it's just I, I miss Mad Magazine, and I'm sad that I was a lapsed fan, but please, all of you publishers out there, just let Mad Magazine die. I agree. I go back to when Hal Jordan became Parallax, and everybody was complaining, like, how could they do this? They killed Hal, and now Kyle, Kyle's stupid. And, you know, how many of you people were reading the book? How many? The book had like eight thousand copies made. I was one of them, so I get to I get to chime up. But all of you, but it's all these people who di- who weren't read Mag Magazine. They wish it was still around. I yep. I I get you. So, but you know, DC is sunsetting the book, and we have to deal with that. Maybe they'll do a big digital sale or something. Who knows? I don't know, but definitely when we're done recording here, I'm going to subscribe to Mad Magazine for a year yeah. and see what I get. Just all, just because I want to hope that I can help run it out a little bit longer, mm-hmm. that they see that there is interest in Mad Magazine, too, yeah, like, so I could read it to enjoy and kind of like nostalgic remember what magazine Mad Magazine used to be, and then what was the third thing I was going to say with this? Uh, oh, remember during the New Fifty Two when all those books were being canceled and there was the whole thing of the letters being sent to people of your subscription of X is being replaced yep. by Y. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see if they if they continue to run it out with reprints or if my Mad Magazine subscription turns into something else. Or and to see be- what that something else is. Right. Or if it becomes Wizard Magazine, you just never see that money or a product <laughs> again. <laughs> 
Does DC publish a Pokemon trading card game magazine? Because, you know, they could move it over to that and I'd be okay. Right. And when you do get those books, Joe, uh-huh. I just want to enjoy you enjoying Mad Magazine when you get okay. them. Okay. You could take a picture of me doing that. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, so the last bit of news is the return of a semi-recurring segment here on the show, and that is the Rob Watch. Uh, Rob Liefeld, uh, comic book juggernaut, Levi Jean, spokesperson, and all-around comic book uh, person. Yes. Twitter mogul, too. Sometimes, yes. sometimes not. Uh, sometimes he's quiet on social media. But when he comes back and says stuff, he does so with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. What's Rob's latest cause that he's getting behind? Uh, he tweets out a picture of the Blu-rays of Sucker Punch, uh, Man of Steel 300, and Watchmen, and says, Come on, it can't be that hard just to give us the goods. He's a proven visionary. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Oh, and he's a Snyder brony. Go ahead. I'll tell you, nothing makes me happier than the when the Rob acts 1,000% on brand. <laughs> I'm actually slightly surprised that he didn't tweet out saying, I've seen the Snyder cut, and it's fantastic. They need to release it. Whether he's That's... seen it or not, that he says that he's seen it. Or at least he knows the guy who's seen it. Right. Like, you know, me being on the, you know, with the people around Deadpool, the movies and stuff. I know a guy who worked on Justice League. I so. was in, I was invited to the Snyder Cut uh, pre-release party, mm-hmm. and they had to shut it down because something. But the 20 minutes we saw were unbelievable. I've never had such a good cut before. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> But I'm hoping that whatever he saw was actually the actor from one day at a time in it, and it was the Schneider cut, and it's just the the janitor from one day at a time randomly, like, inserted into scenes. I would watch that. Would it be classic, uh, too close, or not, oh my goodness, I said too close, uh, one day at a time? Right, classic yes. One Day at a Time Schneider or the new Netflix series Schneider? Both. Okay. Both double Schneidered. You get two Schneiders for the price of one. So, uh, for all of your latest Rob news without having to actually follow Rob on social media, tune in here for the next edition of The Rob Watch. Mm-hmm. Which needs its own, well, I, I said before, not so much as a jingle, but uh, maybe a very... Um, Legally tenuous sound effect. I know we have an occasional graphic if we ever need. Oh, that's right. I have that saved in a folder, by the way. That's right. <laughs> On the front porch in a, in a mayonnaise jar. No, it's in a subfolder for all my Terry Funk pictures. Oh. <laughs> oh, the Red Rooster! Yes. I didn't, well, does, I don't know, does DJ listen to the show? I doubt it. Because I, I so bad wanted to stooge off to him. The genesis of you tweeting out the Terry Funk birthday thing, right? <laughs> but then I'm then I'm impl impl uh, impl- uh, implicating myself mm-hmm. in your crimes, and I don't want to do that. What? I don't know how you were involved in that. Wasn't there one where there was a guy in an outfit? No, no, no. Um, that was when we went out for your birthday. I forget <laughs> how it came up. 
mm-hmm. and I told you that uh, next time that you do some sort of Terry Funk Red Rooster thing, mm-hmm. there's a gif out there of Terry Funk with, like, chickens on his hands or throwing chickens <laughs> at someone. Oh, okay, that's what right. I was. So I'd put the seed in your head to do that. Mm. And then the opportune time was for his birthday. Like, it could have been more perfect. <laughs> that's... To me, if if I had died after that, I would have went out on top. That's right. the way I look at it. You could, have, you could have shutted your Twitter at that point. You win Twitter. That's right. I could have robbed it. I, the rob. I could have shut it down and never come back to Twitter. <laughs> anyway, conventions this weekend, Todd. Mm-hmm. We are on the cusp of San Diego, as I'm sure in between this recording and the next recording, there's going to be a ton of news because comic book companies don't release their actual news at San Diego because that's for suckers. Uh, but conventions this weekend, Todd, there's the Atlanta Comic-Con in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Kevin Conroy of the Media Guest side is going to be there. Jerry Conway, Ron Lim, and Val Kilmer. I wonder if you can get an interview with Val Kilmer there. Uh, I doubt it. I think Val Kilmer doesn't like to do interviews. Then uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, I'm sure you can go shack up at the Conradison if you want to, because I'm sure at least one guest will be, maybe two. Uh, the Alabama Comic Con, uh, Chris Sarandon of Fright Night and Child's Play fame, Edward Furlong of Terminator 2 and maybe Pet Cemetery 2 fame is going to be there, as well as the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase and Charlotte's grandfather Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the bathroom for a short time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggie this weekend is Fanboy Expo in Knoxville, Tennessee. Todd, <laughs> you've got comic people, you've got media guest people, and then of course the the greatest luminaries from the world of sports and or entertainment. From comic books, you've got Graham Nolan, James O'Barr, Frank Thierry, Frank Cho. From the media guest side of things, you've got Pee Wee Herman, Bruce Campbell. Sebastian Bach, and then, <laughs> go ahead. Skid Row? I thought you were going to say Savage Animal, but. Okay. You remember the, there's a, some VH1 reality show, it was like a making the band sort of thing, mm-hmm. and they're trying to pick the name of the band, and Sebastian Bach was pushing for the name of the band to be Savage Animal, no. and by pushing for it, he just kept saying through the course of the show, Savage Animal as much as he could, in the hopes that it would, like, permeate into the minds of the other people and I even do. now even though my wife is a fan of skid row and like their their catalog whenever the name sebastian bach comes up she immediately goes savage animal because that's the way he would say it <laughs> right that's my mo sometimes if i say it enough hopefully it'll happen right and then todd how's this mm-hmm. for a one two three punch on media guests okay Richard Dean Anderson. <gasps> the guy from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? I, I don't know what that is, but he's also in Stargate. Oh, SG-1. Mm-hmm. Mickey Dolans and Mike Nesmith. Does he have the hat? I think he has the hat like a little standee at his table. Like, you want a picture with Mike Nesmith, it's one price. You want a picture with the hat, it's another price. And that's the combo price of, uh, as people call him, Papa Nez and the hat. Pa- Papa Nez and the hat. That should be our band instead of Savage Animal. Papa, Papa Nez, Nez and the hat. Oh, boy. But uh, I would definitely get my picture with all of them. Mm. But on the re- on the wrestling side of things, Todd. We always have to get there eventually. This is what you were waiting for. Mick Foley is going to be there. 
Right. Brutus the Barber Beefcake is going to be there. Ooh. Sergeant Slaughter is going to be there. The Iron Sheik is going to be there. <laughs> the Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant is going to be there. Ooh! <laughs> I love me some Boogie Woogie Man. Of if, course. One, if you want to see what the end of a... Uh, a certain type of binge was from 1986 <laughs> to 1991. That's what Jimmy Valiant was living every day, coming into your TV screen live at 6.05 every Saturday night. Is that like Netflix binging? Mm, different kind of binging. <laughs> okay. Uh, Harley Race is going to be there. Eight-time champion Harley Race. That's right. And Loverboy Dennis, Beautiful Bobby, Sweet Stan, and... Jim Clarinet himself, all four members of the Midnight Express are going to be there. That's my uh, ultimate Mark photo, getting the picture at the four of them. But you wouldn't do it. I absolutely would. You if, always I was say... gonna an, if I was going to be at Fanboy Expo in Knoxville, Tennessee, I would go uh, up to the Jim Cornette Midnight Express thing. I would plunk down my whatever it is. And I would be wearing one of the t-shirts of one of the many Outlaw Mud shows that he hates. Not his own Outlaw Mud show shirt that looks like, you know, I don't know. It doesn't look like it's mud. But uh, I would wear that shirt and I'd put my arm around Jim and I'd put my towel, my burger towel over my other shoulder and I'd put my big thumbs up and I'd get my picture with old corny Jim. So you wouldn't do the, you wouldn't do the fist pose? Nah, the, corny Jim would be an arm around his shoulder and a big thumbs up. Okay, because I know there's a rule you have to do the fighting pose with a wrestler. No, I'd be I, I I'd be smiling too much. Oh, uh, well, at least I got to meet old clarinet. That's right. Highlight uh, of my life. <laughs> so the links to all of these shows will be in the uh, these conventions will be in the show notes, along with information about the soon to be named network over at soon to be named network.com or soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Where anytime any of the shows in the network go up, you can find them there. If you don't uh, subscribe to the individual pages, RSS feeds, podcatchers, what have you, well, whether it be this show, uh, whether it be Longbox Heroes After Dark, where I give my, uh, what, eight years too late review of the first three episodes of Game of Thrones? Uh, I don't know. I think you're right on the, the sweet spot of Game of Thrones. Right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Profane Arguments, Puzzle Warriors 3. And, of course, if anyone else appears on any other shows, those will appear there as well. Just like I was on Between the Sheets, one of my personal favorite podcasts, uh, this past week discussing the week that was 1993 in the world of professional wrestling when Lex Luger ditched his narcissistic ways to show that he was made in the USA and used all of his might and a loaded forearm to body slam the fluctuating in weight during the segment from 550 pounds to 568 pound world wrestling entertainment heavyweight champion Yokozuna Mm. on the deck of the USS Intrepid. I even, I know that right. One of the most famous moments in wrestling history. Yes. Maybe I'll have to listen to all 83 hours of under the sheet. It was just a it was just a hair over five hours this week. I know somebody pointed that out with a question mark. <laughs> Someone I could trust when it comes to any podcast being too long. I, and I, I mean a wrestling podcast, because any amount of time is too long for I, a wrestling podcast. I full well wait my full review from my at odds with wrestling co-host Adam, because I know he listened to the entire show and I expect a full report 
for uh, this week's At Odds with Wrestling. Right. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you check that out, thank you very much. Um, like I said, it's one of my favorite podcasts. That's so always cool. And I called my shot to do uh, another episode later this year as well. Wow. Uh-huh. How do I get on in between the sheets? Right. Well, I it was... Um, well, is there a period of professional wrestling uh, that you're an expert on, Todd? The social outcast era. No, they don't do anything that's like less than 10 years old. That, that feels like it was 10 years ago. <laughs> and that's 10 years in Todd years. That is. It feels, anytime I watch wrestling, it feels like 10 years has gone by while I'm doing it. But I'll, I'll just throw this little tease out there. I'll probably be appearing back on Between the Sheets somewhere around the end of October again. Good throw that out there. some people know other people whatever i'm gonna write that down so i can know too and then right. they can pay for me so uh digital books and sales uh no new uh freebies this week the same ones all those x-men books that we discussed from last week ton of sales uh this week a lot of those spider-man ones are still hanging around uh spider-man start here spider-man massive blockbuster sale spider-man versus mysterio sale all that sort of jazz is still there that sandman universe sale is still going on until the end of the month so be sure to check that stuff out as well uh the marvel uh 80th anniversary the 2000s sale is going on they're also having a sale on ecstatics stuff which was the x-force run that uh peter milligan and mike allred did and DC is having a sale that's just called the Number Ones Sale. Uh, a lot of newer stuff in there. And I always like to point out, of course, if there's newer stuff from DC that's on sale, be certain to check that out because they don't do that very often. And, you know, there's stuff that came out like two weeks ago or two months ago that's on sale. Uh, that deceased first issue is on sale. The Superman Leviathan special, which I did not know had a $10 price tag. Oh, boy. Uh, that's on sale. So there's a ton of new number ones that are on sale, um, that have come out within the last month or two from DC. So like I said, definitely check those out. And of course, another sale going on, uh, is Image is having a sale on Walking Dead stuff. Oh, I wonder why. And that leads us right into what we read from this past week, Todd, and maybe one of the more newsworthy stories that have come out in recent months, years, etc., is that with issue 193 of The Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman and uh, Charles Adlard have decided to end the series. Yes, they have. It's over. No more. They released a triple-sized issue this past week at the normal cover price of $3.99, and they wrapped everything up. And I tell you, it was a race to see who could tell me about this first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the internet or other people? Uh, Both. Right. Uh, I'm I'm pretty good with prevent like putting up those filters for these sort of things. Like when Rick died two months ago, Rick died two months ago. Spoiler alert, Joe. Like that. So uh, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I see like the little thing that says spoiler, and I think you had a little fun story of how this uh, information kind of got disseminated to you by the internet. Yes, basically, I have an app. It's not my ringtone maker app but it's an app for like news and i'm like all right i'm gonna put in bleeding cool i'm gonna put in cbr i'm gonna put in newsarama i'm gonna put in doctor who i'm gonna put in the raiders like so basically this like you you put in their websites and then it'll just bring up whatever somebody puts a news thing up it goes to the top of the page and you can scroll through it so i'm like okay 
And it's like, all right, Newsarama, like Walking Dead spoiler for tomorrow. And I don't know who's blew it, but it was like uh, Bleeding Cool, Walking Dead spoiler, major spoiler for Walking Dead 193. Uh, So-and-so, you know, major spoiler for Walking Dead blank, Walking Dead 193. And then one was just like, hey, everybody, like in the title, hey, everybody, uh, no more Walking Dead. Like uh, Kirkman cancels Walking Dead at one nine, and I'm like, really? Like in the title? In the title? And then as I'm reading the title, I get a text from the basis from the store. It's like, hey, by the way, Walking Dead's canceled. In case you, you know, for news if you need it for the show. And I'm like, I'm good, <laughs> thanks. So <sighs> it was, it was, you know. And I have an interesting, like later on in the show, a spoiler story. But we'll wait till we get there. But I love spoilers. But <laughs> so this kind of came out of nowhere yes how great would it have been to read this but before we go on to it fresh you know what i mean uh-huh. just be like what's happening here why are we several years in the future you know but so yeah did you enjoy the issue yes so this is one of those instances where I enjoy the story. So, as Todd mentioned, we're in the future. Carl has grown up. He's married. He's got a kid. And um, Herschel, who was also a kid when Carl was younger, has a traveling show that he takes from town to town of zombies. What what it was like long ago, right? right. That's he, where we are. Right. And he and and Herschel is Glenn and Maggie's son. Right. Okay. Just so. But go ahead. so. One of the wa- one of the zombies, they still call them walkers, they're zombies, gets out onto Carl's property. Carl instinctively kills the zombie. Herschel is like, you destroyed my property, I'm taking you to court. Takes him to court. Carl goes and destroys the whole rail car full of zombies. Now Carl's on the run. He goes before the Supreme Court. And we kind of get to see where everyone is in this future world. Right. And it ends with Carl reading his daughter the story of The Walking Dead, distilling the previous 192 episodes down to six pages of story with some images, essentially explaining how Rick's sacrifice was able to get us to this point where people are able to live a normal life again. Right. But then... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Finish. So I was going to say, so as important as that was, uh, the back matter, all the stuff that Kirkman wrote in the back, I think was equally as important, if not more important. But go ahead. Right. Um, the thing that I that I really loved uh, about that, like you said, is the one thing was seeing Rick's statue at the end of the book, yeah. almost near the end. And one thing that, that jumped out at me is they talked about had, how had – uh, Carl had given given up sculpting wood, so I'm wondering if if he, they're implying that he sculpted the statue of his father, and that was and he hasn't really sculpted anything since. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, because it looks just like him, and Carl would know exactly. Like, there's no pictures of Rick, so it looks you know like that scene where he's got the arm up and they're all cheering him and everything, and and that's great. And I just I just love that and it brings into the matter of me uh where you were fighting and i'm just i'm picking on you a little bit now fighting that this book was essentially carl's book that this the story we were going to move away from rick someday 
and this book inherently was about Carl. Do you still have that theory after reading this book? I'm going to say no. Okay. Because I do, I do like that, even though he, he died in the past issue. This last issue is all about Rick and his legacy, and great. And I do love that. And in the end, even the, in the back, like you said, uh, Kirkman says, you know what? I've told lies in this book before. I've told lies in, in the media, and I've told lies in the letter page. And I said this book was never about Rick. Wink. It was about Rick, and I thought, mm-hmm. like you said, there was a lot of great stuff in the back of the book and him explaining stuff, you know, like how things went over the years and alternate endings that he was going to do. It, it, this book was really good. Right. So, as, you know, Todd mentioned, this is really good, of course, but the fact that uh, Kirkman takes us into his process of getting to this moment, mm-hmm. to ending the book here, where he had given interviews saying that he wanted to end with like a nice round number of like 200 or 300. But as he, he like, he had all these story beats in his head of how things were going to go. And he even had a similar ending to how this ended with the whole Rick statue, but it being a desolate wasteland, the statue still standing and there being zombies that yes, Rick sacrificed himself, but it still didn't matter because the zombie outbreak still just came back. Right, and he's thinking about somewhere around 75 of that happening. Right, right. And then as he's he's like, oh, I have all these ideas in my head. We'll end it like around like 200 or maybe even 300. And then I forget what story it was specifically that he says that they got there. And he goes, oh, I'm already here. I only have like two more stories really to finish up with this. And then I'm done. And then he I did think- the math that it's not going to end at like 300. It's going to end like way sooner. I think it was when he said he hit when he brought in the the, the big city like with the with the uh, ham radio. Yeah, he's yeah. like w- once I once I knew we were going there, that was the home stretch. But uh, uh, Matt asked me at the basis. Matt asked me at the store. He goes, "Do you think? Do you, he thinks that it has to do with Rick leaving the TV show? That's a big part of it. That maybe he sped it up just a little bit." Well, we talked about that here when, you know, we were getting toward the end and Rick got killed off in the book. Right, but we didn't know this was happening. Does right, that change your, your view on it at all? That maybe Rick, like, he could have had a little bit more story before this happened? I would like to take what Kirkman wrote in the back of this book at his word. Mm-hmm. But there can be, and there, I'm sure there is a conspiracy theory out there just like we had discussed all those years ago that if the new 52 was going to be an, uh, an abhorrent failure, that the Dio has some sort of ripcord that he could pull, mm-hmm. that they put this into the books and they could revert everything back to the way that it was within four to six months. Whereas I think Kirkman had other stories that he very easily could have told to pad things out a little bit and would probably still be just as good as quality. Right. But the death of Rick in the TV show, or at least the speculation of Rick leaving the TV show, that he pulled this trigger sooner. That I have this trigger, that I have a story set up that I can kill Rick off. And then when I kill Rick off, I got two more issues left. Right. Um, now, I, th- I think really it was only one issue, because didn't he die technically in issue 192? Well, no, he gets shot at the end of 191. 192 is the resolution, 
ends with Carl saying, I don't think I can go on anymore, and then this issue, which is like a double or triple issue, right. which technically, the, this could have been three issues. Right. And my thing is, that issue, that moment of Carl breaking down and saying, I can't do this anymore, I think is a little bit of Kirkman either way. I'm not saying he didn't have it, but uh-huh. like, that was him. He's like, I'm going to have Carl say it for me. You know what I mean? And we didn't know it at the time yeah. that that Kirk was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is this is the story, and I'm done. So, so I ask you, Todd, will the Walking Dead, as it is, all 193 episodes, episodes issues, will this stand the test of time? Will this be one of those runs in a book that people will talk about from nigh on to here on forever? I think it will. I think he stuck the landing. I think he really stuck. I thought it was, you know, a little bit of Dusty Onions as I was reading uh, Carl read to his daughter, like the the story of The Walking Dead. And we saw the past characters. Um, I think there's a little bit of a lackluster with the last story up to Rick's death. um, Because I was even telling people, I'm like, "Ah, I might be checking out at issue 200. I might be done here for a little bit. But I think in him ending it, as I'm saying, this book has gone on too long makes it the perfect ending in a weird way. Like he knew where he was and this is the end of the story and it's over. I think this will sell perpetually till the end of time. Right. Cause I think he even says in his little back matter, Kirkman does that he wanted to get to some sort of even number because those compendiums for as much as the single issues sell. And, and this is Kirkman saying this as much as the single issue sell and as much as the trade sell and as much as the hardcover sell, he said that they move those compendiums that collect like 48 issues at a time sell more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to have it get to an even number so they can complete out like whatever the last compendium was. Right. And this does that because these three issues right. make it like 48 issue compendiums. You know what I mean? Like, 191 you add and it all it's anything that i think 48 will divide into it so i i do applaud him for that that he's like okay i need 60 more pages to do this i'm just gonna make that 60 pages 193 and be done well here's the problem if we're doing 48 at a clip four 48s is issue 192 48 48 48 48 is 192 so that puts you right at that. So this one extra issue is like, I'm sure it's going to get collected in whatever that last compendium is, mm-hmm. but he technically could have ended it with 192. Imagine right. if the end of Walking Dead wasn't this issue 193. It was just one issue 192 saying Carl saying, I can't take it anymore. And Whoa. Kirkman's just like, yep, we're, d- we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's your real ending. You want to get people talking. Yep. And I like the three fake covers in the back. Yep. Because they were... solicited they solicited uh, three more issues beyond this, and they were fake solicitations. And we talk all the time that, you know, and I, I kind of use it as the, I say the Thunderbolts thing, where you couldn't do a story like Thunderbolts again, where you have that issue one reveal where it's just a book that gets announced. It's like, oh, it's a new hero team, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the issue, it's like, surprise, we're actually like the biggest villains of the of the Avengers universe posing as heroes while the heroes are away. Like, that did not get stooged off before that issue came out. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about how you can't do that in today's day and age, and this came close. Mm-hmm. And they had to do a lot of work to make it come close. Like, 
fake solicit fake solicit three more issues beyond this. And I like too. Do you remember there was an article about how the inker was going to go off and do other things because mm-hmm. like the, it had run the course? And I'm wondering if like the inker knew and he's like, I have other jobs lined up, <laughs> but if I take them, people are gonna. So it's like, go take them, and we'll say, you know, that Charlie Adler can can take. He's ready to do all of it again. You know what I mean? And that's right. what he said. And I'm like, so this guy's off, you know, inking books, and he's like, well, the reason I'm inking books is because Charlie can handle the load on his own. He he, he I have a non disclosure contract, you know, thing, and I can't say anything. So I like the logistics of it is amazing, and I love that retailers are mad. Why are retailers mad? Because if they had known this was the last issue, we would have bumped up our orders because these books, this was, this was the new Marvel Comics Presents number six. Wait a minute. Marvel Comics Presents number six just came out a week ago (laughs) or two weeks ago or whatever it was. Right. So this one is, you know, and people, as soon as it happened, the calls started rolling into our retailers. And other people were like, no, and it's going for 30, 25 bucks, 30 bucks online and whatever. They're like, if we had known this, but now we, we can get second prints. People don't want second prints. We could have, we could have, you know, crushed it on this. And I'm like, did Kirkman not make you enough money over 193 issues? And I think we even talked about this on the show when they did the issue 191, where when they announced the 192 final order cutoff things, they were like, we're making them a completely returnable. There you go. So buy as many as you want. They said 192 was completely returnable. Now, I don't know if they said that for 193, but if they're making 192 completely returnable and you just had 191 hit things, hey, Walking Dead might be hitting a big spell. Take a chance on it. It's paid off how many other times before? (laughs) And even if it doesn't pay off the day the book comes out, I'm sure you're probably kicking yourself that you don't have a, a a short box in the back full of free to return issue 23 of Walking Dead, the first appearance of Michonne, or whatever the first appearance of the governor is, or whatever the first appearance of Negan is, or all those other times that you could have ordered all these things. And they told you, hey, we're giving you extra time. 192, completely returnable. Order as many as you want. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They were giving you as many clues as you can without you, the retailers, stooging this information off. Because mm-hmm. they're still mad. Because how this stuff gets stooged off is these retailer summits, or you know, somebody sneaks into a retailer summit, or whatever it is, or just even through the retailer email. How many times? What? How do you think we find out that dead uh, that Doomsday Clock gets pushed back? It's not from, you know, these new sites. It's because I get the same resources. The the bassist he texts me and he's like, oh, Doomsday Clock's pushed back. Or it's not pushed every Wednesday. And by the way, it's after uh, 4th of July, Joe. I was going to say, like, speaking, you know, speaking of which, this is the first week after 4th of July, so we got a delay coming soon. <laughs> what? The oh, other yeah. thing, I don't think Walking Dead is done. I think Kirkman's done with Walking Dead. No, no, no. I think we're going to get one more Negan story somewhere down the line. He purposely did not show us Negan. Carl Negan's went, in there. Carl went to his house. We see uh, Negan at the gravesite, but we don't get any Negan stuff. And Kirkman makes a point 
in his little back matter thing to say that Negan is okay. Negan survives all this. And Negan's in the book. In 193. Yes, Negan's in the book. Carl goes to his house, drops off food. Right. right? But Negan never comes to the door. Right. Then let me finish, Joe. Calm down. Calm down. As he's reading the book, we're seeing where everybody's in the current time. The kid who shot who shot Rick is in prison talking to his mother. So-and-so's here. Uh, Negan is kneeling in front of the Lucille tombstone. I I just said all of this. Right, so he's in the book. No, no, but what I'm saying is he's, okay, yes. And he's fine. His house is in the book. He's at the Lucille gravesite, but he doesn't, like, do a thing. We know that he's fine. He doesn't, like, have anything to do. In this final story. So I think Kirkman, if he wants to ever come back to these characters, he could always say, I got one more Negan story left in me. I, I And I disagree because I even I laugh. That's one of the things. In one of the last two letters pages, maybe it was even the last one, in when they killed Rick. And they were like, oh, it looks like you're going to kill Rick off. There's only one man who could who could uh you know take his place negan's coming back to the book and he writes you will you will never see as i've said before you will never see negan in this book again and i i found that amusing and then in the next issue there's a panel of negan in the book i think kirkman did it and he's wiped his hands of it until he does his his free comic book day special (laughs) but no but then what are you gonna do if there's one more negan story yeah you're gonna you're going to have all these compendiums and a one shot. I think he's yep. going to be done. Where does the, the here's Negan thing that was in the image comics previews thing. I know they said that they would never collect it and that they did collect it. Right. Is that in the compendiums? I don't think so. I think it'll be in this compendium. Okay. So this will be a separate compendium. Yeah. It's going to be the lab or if I don't know how many they have out. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Whatever. If if the, if there's one before this that hasn't come out yet, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but if 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 it's not in that one, then it'll be in this one. It'll be at the you know sort of the beginning of this one, or maybe it's not anywhere. I don't know. I I I, I trying to figure out Kirkman is a you know it's not easy. I'm just saying a way to really push uh, more people to buy that last compendium is to do a uh, a Negan only storyline in that compendium. That would be a way. Mm-hmm. That would be a way. I, okay. I thought you meant he would just do like a another comic, like no, it, like it would be a one shot. It would be like an eight page story somewhere, or it'd be like in some sort of like image anniversary thing, or it'd be something. Like if he okay. ever wanted to come back to Walking Dead for any reason, he could always say, "I have one more Negan story to tell." I think I, I'm going to go with no. I'm going to. I I honestly think he's done. Okay. Because he says he can't do it anymore through Carl in the last issue. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, Negan is something different. Mm Mm-hmm. That's all. So, the other books we read from this past week. (laughs) There were other books? Yes. Sea of Stars, number one. uh, Co-written by Jason Aaron and Dennis Halliam. uh, Jason Aaron and Dennis Halliam. uh, Formerly Dennis Hopeless with art by Stephen Green. So this, I th- it, maybe I'm mistaken and maybe I'm just not remembering. There were no swears in this book, was there? I don't think so that I can remember. 
Right, because this has a T rating for teen, but, you know, Superman has a T rating for teen, so you really can't go by that. This feels like Jason Aaron, of course, the co-writer, doing as close to an all-ages book as possible. There's some scary stuff in there, there's maybe some violence and stuff, but there's no swearing, there's no nudity, there's no weird adulty situations. Uh, It's a dad who's a space trucker, if you will, uh, going out on one last, one thing with his son. They get separated by some sort of super big cool thing. Um, And we, the son ends up with these two aliens that are kind of comic relief-y, almost in a Lion King sort of way. Mm -hmm. And we realize that wherever the son is, that he could breathe and survive without the need of his spacesuit. And the father is very far away where we get our crux of what this story is going to be, which is, you know, a father and a son separated trying to get back together. But the reaches of space are what's in between them. Yeah, it's Space Trucker Finding Nemo. There you go. That's a good pitch. That's your that's your Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. That is Saga that they <laughs> threw out on all those covers when they were like, I don't know if this Saga book is going to sell. Let's, what, what are two popular things we can put on the cover? That's what it is. It's, uh, that, it's that old Dennis Hopper Space Trucker movie meets Finding Nemo. A Dennis Hopper Space Trucker movie. There's a there's Space Truckers with Dennis Hopper. I know what I'm, I'm well Debbie aware. Mazur. <laughs> what? I said, I'm well aware that Dennis Hopper has made some poor choices in his film career. Oh, made some great choices in his film career. Anywho, what did you think of this? I enjoyed it. I think, like you said, it was his all-ages book. Um, I wasn't... I, for, let's just say, and this isn't... And I'm not trying to be... This is probably, of all the stuff that I've re- read by Jason Aaron, his weakest story to me. Uh, I'll give you weak. I wouldn't say weak. I would say lightest. Yeah, and it just felt like it was a predictable. Like, yeah, they're going to get separated, creature, blah, blah, blah. Like, there was no hook there for me. I don't know. This is like when an actor who has done tons of horror and dramatic roles does something for his kids. I feel like he has a kid that this is perfect for. He's like, my kid can read this, and, and he'll be happy. You know? And that's I don't okay. Know. You know, that, that is Jason Aaron stuff for as long as we have, I think – Getting something like this, maybe our expectations might have been too high, but I think this is a perfectly fun comic. It is. Yes. I just, I, I yes. So. so I'm sticking with this until they reveal that this was really just a Dennis uh, Hallam book. <laughs> and that They just threw Jason Aaron's name on here to trick people into buying it. Right. But Image would never do that. Right, he slid the he, Jason slid him the plot on a on a bar napkin one night, right? And he gets co credit. And imagine if that bar napkin actually said "Space Truckers meets Finding Nemo." <laughs> oh my god, that would be fantastic! Mm-hmm. Fantastic for Prodigal Son. There you go. I didn't read this. Uh, that's fine. Uh, I'm just going to give you the basics. It's uh, written by Peter David and dr- drawn by Francesco uh, Mana. And it's basically, I did not know this, that it's a three-part miniseries that I thought it was going to be all Fantastic Four. Part one is Fantastic Four. Part two and part three, and in either order, are Silver Surfer and Guardians of the Galaxy. So this character who's Prodigal Son, this new character, is going to travel through these different characters to, to do the arc. Basically, a ship crashes in the Savage Land, and uh, this character called, like, like Marvel, the captain from back in the day, his name is 
prodigal. So, and he's the son of a king on another planet, and he challenges brother. He's the younger one, challenges, challenges brother to a duel for the right to be king, loses, and he's on the run. He ends up crash landing on Earth. Through a series of events, he gets hooked up with the savages in the Savage Land who want to kill Kazar. So they're, they, they get him to break into the High Evolutionary's tower to get a spaceship that's not there. And, but they really want weapons. They go to war. Kazar brings in the Fantastic Four. They end up stopping everything and they basically try to help get Prodigal, uh, back home. So now we're going to go see where the, the next part of the book is, but he's a very pompous character who has elemental power. So earth, wind, water, fire. Uh, and he's very pompous and his catchphrase is what fresh hell is this? <laughs> so in the end, I enjoyed the book It's fantastic for it's Peter David, but I wasn't blown away by this book. I thought it was just okay. All around. If you have any questions, I mean, that's pretty much the story. It's very straightforward, very quick. Read it like a breeze. You know what I mean? Um, will I probably pick up the other two? I support Peter David on everything. So uh, if you read it, your mileage may vary. Bless Peter David, though, for trying to create a new character in 2019, you know? Oh, I agree. It's, you know, everybody wants the next Doomsday or the next Booster Gold. Mm-hmm. Those are DC properties. Well, those are the last good ones. So. Oh, okay. Oh, you don't. You're not a fan of Access. Oh, were they from the Amalgam comics? Yes, from the Amalgam comics. <laughs> right. When you were talking about what the origin of Prodigal was, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what if this is like the backdoor pilot return for uh, Access? Oh, it would be fantastic. Right, but I think I forget who said it online uh, that there'll never ever be another DC Marvel. Uh, crossover because they'd have to go through so much Disney and Warner Brothers red tape to even like even to discuss it It, like it's not even worth the time I was just going to say didn't you hear what Rob has talked about in the industry the Rob he's like everything's changed with these big companies and it's all going to collapse anyway so but he still loves Marvel and he'll still take their paychecks and create characters for them right but he won't sign those uh, New Mutants 98 facsimiles so Hmm. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so. We put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that come out this week, whether you get your books in print whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, whether you're waiting for the big 48-issue compendium to come out. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out, be prepared. Uh, we, Todd and I, attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am falling way behind. Uh, Todd has five correct guesses over me, and looking at Todd's list, I think he's just buying, like, the the entire left side of the comic shop this week. <laughs> I am, everything. I'll just take that rack right there. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking over your list and Joe, this is a stellar week when it comes to books. Yes. That could be on your list. Let's go down the, I, I'm not picking just yet, right. but there is a black hammer justice league. Number one. I know how much you like black hammer, Batman 74. This might be the big issue. That's going to change Batman forever. I thought last one, month was, I thought this month was too. I don't okay. know, but I think either way, it doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter. It's 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 all you like Batman, Wonder Twins. You've been loving that book, Criminal, which is your go-to book whenever it comes out. You forgot There's, about the you forgot about the last issue of Naomi. Oh, that's the last issue of Naomi. The last well, like uh, Dial H for Hero and Wonder Twins both got officially announced, like solicited issue right. sevens. Whereas okay. Naomi, we were told like we'll see more of Naomi in the future, but nothing is solicited. Right. So we have Giant Size Ecstatic number one. You love that old book. Uh, Invisible Woman number one is coming out this week. And uh, Second Coming is coming out this week. So, like, any of those books that I mentioned could be your number one. Well, okay. Uh, also, the Venom issue is the kickoff of the big Carnage event. Right. And uh, War of the Realms Omega, the postscript to the War of the Realms stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. So any so basically, other than Amazing Spider-Man and Avengers, well, Amazing any, Spider-Man is, is is an anniversary because it's number twenty-five and it's an eight-dollar book. Uh, Nine dollars. Don't oh, be holding back. I think maybe it's an eight-dollar. I don't know. So Avengers is really the only one that that's uh, Avengers and Thor are outliers. Right. So I look over those. I I know I'm you know playing around here, but that is a that is a deep bench of books, Joe. Yep. Um, I'm going to go, there's a lot there that I would pick, but I think it's second coming number one, the book that could have changed Vertigo, but it is now going to change Ahoy Comics. Yes, uh, that is the book I'm most looking forward to coming out this week. As I think with the 97 books that you're purchasing this week, that's also the book that you're most look for, looking forward to coming out this week. It is because I'm buying two copies, one of each cover, just because oh. I love those Two copies? What are you going to do with two copies of this? This is slightly different, and I'm also oh. I'm also buying two copies of Young Justice. If if all of these books, if if Second Coming didn't come out with Criminal and all those other books, it and you would have never got it. It would have been Young Justice number seven because as they hop to alternate Earths, they go to Earth C, the Captain Carrot universe. In this issue, oh. buying two copies of that, Joe, once again, so I can have my Young Justice run. And one for my Captain Carrot run. I have Young Justice. I, I should have Young Justice on my list here as well. So let me fix that. Oh, I, yeah. are, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were getting that. Or did you? I, I you am getting it? it, but I forgot. I must have forgot. Oh, my God. Never forget a book on your list. Uh-huh. That's the worst thing you could do with the pull list, man. Come yeah. on. Be professional, Joe. Show some respect. Shameful. Shame. 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 That's from Game of Thrones. If you oh, watch it, see, yeah. But anyway, I'll get there eventually. Mm -hmm. So uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we have over there, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the 2017 Smash Sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues. Uh, you can also check out our store where you can purchase stickers or shirts or pins with our fancy logo on them. If you want a few more uh, designs, whether it be inspired by the show, in color, soon to be named network, or at odds with wrestling, you can go to our T Public store as well. I think they had a sale last week, and they have a sale coming up next week as well. They're having a bunch of summer sales. We'll do our best to remind everyone as those come up. And of course, you can always support the show by contributing to our Patreon as little as a dollar a month. We'll get you access to the old show that Todd and I did with our good buddy DJ all the way back in 2009 into 2010. For $5 a month, you get early access to Longbox Heroes After Dark. You get it about two days before everybody else. And as we had mentioned earlier, uh, Todd and I discuss 
uh, Game of Thrones as I just started watching it, just mm-hmm. in time for the show to wrap up a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet spot. Yeah, but you can always help us out by making uh, any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through at the top of the page. I know Prime Day is coming up in about a week's time. Uh, there'll be all sorts of sales, hopefully, this time around that are um, suitable to you, the listeners' needs. Some of the notable uh, purchases through the link this past week was someone purchased a home blood pressure monitor kit. Uh, someone also purchased an Amore men's casual slim fit printed jacket. That was not me. Or me. Uh, Todd. Somebody also purchased the Story brand, S-T-O-R-I, plastic vanity organizers. Uh, somebody also purchased a five-pack of clear parking permit holders. I don't know why you would need one, let alone five, but thank you for purchasing them through our click-through anyway. And somebody also purchased the New Grains Gluten-Free Hamburger Buns Sugar Cookies and San Francisco-style sourdough bread. Mm, these cookies don't just go up to glue 10. They go up to glue 11. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> I think that's pretty... Luckily, we have, like, six other options for the title of the show this week. (laughs) Okay. So, if I had to do that, I would have been so disappointed in myself. (laughs) So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We had one from listener Fred Chamberlain. Um, Hey, Todd's art attack. Just picked this up at Heroes Con, the original cover for the Jonah Hex Omnibus by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. This omnibus is due in stores for October and is available for pre-order now. Great character, fun read, and tons of stunning images. That's the brand new cover. Um, I have ordered this. As of today, later today, I'm taking my uh, my pull uh, list from preview in, and I'm getting this. What do you think the odds are that this uh, this comes out? I hope it does because that cover is beautiful, Joe. I did not have the Jonah Hex omnibus on the list, but mm-hmm. I feel as though that's one that will see its uh, in store dates. Yes, because they're doing good covers now on the Bronze Ages instead of that garbage that they did. Yes. I can't. I mean, good good for him. I'm glad he got it. I would love that. If he wants to send it my way, I could DM him my address. It is, it is, it is some nice art that Fred did share with us. Mm-hmm. So that's all we have for the main show. We have TV shows and a movie to talk about. <laughs> right. So we'll bid everyone a moment or two. Uh, if you don't care about the uh, finales, and I say finale, uh, my thoughts on the end of Good Omens, the Krypton, the Swamp Thing, and the Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. And we're cutting it. We're going to do things in that order. Save Spider-Man Far From Home for last. Good That's choice. kind of a it's kind of a standalone thing, you know. That's going to take an hour, so we're good. Right. So uh, Good Omens will be quick. Right. Uh, watch the last two episodes, uh, as I knew that my time would be sparing and limited over the, uh, following two days or three days, because with my kid, my kid gone, uh, to camp, uh, he had come home from camp as we're recording this, but while he was home, that means my wife doesn't go to bed at nine o'clock. She would be up. So I could actually like watch things with her, which is where the Game of Thrones stuff came from. So I'm like, I'm not going to have time to watch my stuff 
there because I'm going to have to watch wrestling for at odds. So this is where I need to fit these things in. I had time. I watched the two episodes of uh, Good Omens, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, would recommend and would watch again. Spoilers, of course. And I have to ask you the ending. Yes. So we get to the point where Adam decides that he's being a jerk to his actual friends, not his new friends, which is the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. I really like the design of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in the show. Right, the motorcycles are fantastic. Motorcycles, like each of them individually, I think looked really cool as well. Mm -hmm. So they all meet at the Air Force Base. And we'll kind of, like, piecemeal this all together, you know? You do it, because if not, I'd be here for three hours. Right, because this, this, this is all happening concurrently, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Adam shows up with his friends, his school-age chums, with the uh, Horseman of the Apocalypse. The three friends defeat the Horseman of the Apocalypse, essentially just by saying, like, the little girl says to War, it's like, I don't think people should be fighting like this, and, like, steps on her foot. And then the other one's like, uh, I hate pollution. You know, I want everything to be clean and good and defeats uh, pollution. And then the other kid says, like, I think everyone should have a healthy lunch and then defeats famine that way. And I'm like, oh, that was an ingenious way to do that. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, really quick, I want to go. If you notice throughout the series, they implied that the the little girl was very confrontational. So she gets war. The one kid was very sloppy. So and he would like have food all over the place and he got pollution. And then the other one they talked about was always would always have a dinner at home when he got home, food this and food that, and he got he got uh uh famine, and then Adam obviously gets death. That like that's one of the things that I did like about the way they set that up. But go ahead. But death can't be defeated because he's a constant Neither can just... the Antichrist, so they kind of cancel each other out. Right. So he just needs to go away, but by negating the Armageddon from happening that summons Adam's actual father, the devil. Right. He shows up and Adam essentially is like, you're not my dad. Mm -hmm. My dad is my dad. You can't just show up and be my dad. I don't believe you're my dad. And that's how he defeats the devil. Right. And he ends up making him hit like in that weird, like I have powers to change everything. He makes his, his uh, adopted father, his from the beginning, his actual father with his reality changing powers. Okay. So I didn't grasp that, I guess I like, I assumed it was just like him saying this to the devil was enough, Mm -hmm. but I didn't assume that this was actually changing reality to do that. So that's interesting. It does because later on everything gets put back and people get brought to life. But there's one thing he's like, one of them says it's either a Xerophel or Crowley where he says, he goes, when he changed everything, he back from the beginning, he's made his father, Mr. Young, his father. He doesn't say it that way, but there's a line that just because like, like he's changed everything. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that if you miss whatever, but that's what happened. So Adam is grounded. He can only go out in the garden. His friends come up and they like, hey, let's come out. He says, I can't. How long are you going to be grounded for? Could be years or they could forget about it tomorrow. Who knows? Mm-hmm. He uses reality powers to make the bush go away. Dog gets out and he's like, well, I have to go after my dog. And the adventure continues there. Right. Speaking of the adventures continue, uh, we get the witch finder and the witch. They are at the Air Force Base as well. And they... Uh, figure out that it is the Witchfinder's 
inability to use computers that they need to use to shut down the computers to stop all of the missiles from coming in and destroying and starting Armageddon. That's right. He has to, she tells him to speed up Armageddon. And he's like, I could do it if I want it. And then he does it and he blows up the computers. Right. So they're together. She calls him his boyfriend. He gets all happy. They're together. The guy shows up from the bank or the whatever it is with the lockbox. Right. From Back to the Future 2. Go ahead. Right. Uh, who was that actor? Um, uh, Flaherty. Jo- yes. Joe Flaherty. Joe Flaherty in the movie. This wasn't Joe Flaherty in the movie. Well, it's not Joe Flaherty, right? So it comes with the lockbox, and inside there is the even more uh, accurate predictions of, uh, was it, uh, Agnes Nutter? Nutter? Agnes Nutter. And then at the bottom of the thing it says, Ye Adventure Continues, and they decide to burn the entire book. Right. So there's their little story. Adam and his people's little story, and now we're left with Crowley and Aziraphale, their whole thing. And just really quick, Shadwell and Madam Tracy end up going off together. Right, so they end up going off together, but we had to get there because Aziraphale lost his corporeal body. Mm -hmm. He needed to find a willing subject, and he finds so in Tracy. Yes. And I thought that was very well done of how it was kind of going back and forth between their two voices and their personalities and everything like that. That was fun. The seance was fantastic. Seance scene was fantastic. Crowley uh, drives his Bentley through the ring of fire that was built around, (laughs) that he had help in building around all of London. Because unlike other demons, he has the ability to actually have an imagination. And as long as he can imagine his car not falling apart, it wouldn't fall apart. Right. So they do all this. However, because they stood in the way of Armageddon happening, they are to put to, they are to be put to trial by their respective groups, the angels and the demons. Oh, I also want to say when, um, John Hamm for the angels and Beelzebub for the devils, the demons showed up, right? The design on Beelzebub to be wearing such a ridiculous hat that looked like a fly mm-hmm. was hilarious to me. And it was supposed to be. That wasn't supposed to be like, you know, oh, I'm going to be intimidated. That was the part that made it so funny was because it's Beelzebub and they're wearing this ridiculous hat. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. So they are going to throw Aziraphale into the eternal fire. They are going to throw Crowley into a bath of holy water. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't you know who won the pony, Todd? Before all of this happened... Before they gave the book back to the witch, one little piece of paper came out. One prediction of Agnes Nutter that said something about depending on what face they let you see or choosing your face. Mm -hmm. So for the purposes of the trial, Aziraphale and Crowley switched places right? so that the burning would not affect Crowley and the holy water would not affect uh, Aziraphale. Right. Bravo. Now, did you see that coming? No, I did not. Now, I did not see that coming either because that's not in the book. Oh, okay. That's what I wanted to ask. Is that in the book? That was not in the book. Basically, what happens is after they figure it out, basically, it's the same ending. Some small change I'm just going to go over. Uh, The four horsemen of the apocalypse have a way bigger part in it. There are more horsemen of the apocalypse. As they go, they keep picking up these bikers. And they're like, hey, if you're famine, I'm going to be... Uh, wax, when when something's not working, you whack it and it fixes it. Like, they had all these wacky names. And they end up getting killed along the way. And they're like, why are we dead? And they're like, you weren't in the Bible. 
So why would you think you were going to make it to the end? So there's, there's a lot of that, but basically in the end, um, Crowley and Aziraphale have that speech about that discussion. Well, we don't think the war is over. It's going to be us against, it's going to be the demons and the angels against them. And that's pretty much how it ends. And the gods and the demons let them go. Well, this was them adding a thing. Neil was like, I felt like they wouldn't leave them alone. This was the, us doing it. So it would give them some, like, you know, like some, some bulletproof armor. They're like, everybody's afraid of them now. So like it kind of, Otherwise, eh, heaven and hell would kind of attack them. So all that is not in there. And if you watch it again, everything changes, Joe. Because when you see them and they're going to their respective trials, uh, Crowley comes out, sees that the car is is back, the Bentley is fine, and he smiles, but he doesn't drive it. He gets into a different car. He gets in a cab and he goes. And there's these different faces where like – Gabriel says to Aziraphale, who's really Crowley, he's like, you were, you were a jerk and we were going to destroy the opposition. And Aziraphale makes a face. And when you watch it, you think it's a face of horror because Gabriel's saying destroy, but it's a face of screw you because I'm Crowley and you didn't destroy me. All these little facial expressions and different things are completely different when you watch it knowing, when I watched it the second time, that they're different people. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I I read it as, and especially the part where I thought this was shot perfectly, where cr- before Crowley, uh, Aziraphale as Crowley, gets into the bathtub, mm-hmm. he says, Ugh, do I have to wear my jacket? It's a really nice jacket. I don't want it ruined, you know? Yep. And then he gets in the tub, and he's, like, wearing, like, a men's one-piece swimsuit, like a full mm-hmm. bodysuit thing, and he's playing with the water, and he asks for a rubber ducky and all these things. I read that as Aziraphale having fun in Crowley's body, just like the scene of Crowley and Aziraphale's body when he's in the flames and then he uses it to, like, shoot the fire out at them mm-hmm. out of his mouth. I, I read that as Crowley having fun in Aziraphale's body. Right. But up until that moment where you kind of start right. to, like, there's all these little ticks that when you watch it a second time, everything changes, Joe. And I highly recommend, like, if you're ever watching with April, like, pay attention from the moment, yep. like, up until the reveal. And you're like, oh, and then they go back and they and you see when they're sitting on the bench and it's just David Tennant playing Michael Sheen's role and Michael Sheen's play. Like, at that point, they're in face-off with Nick, <laughs> Nick Cage and Travolta. It's like, now you just see them doing each other's complete quirks because they don't have to hide it anymore. If we could somehow make... Good Omens, canonically, a remake of Face Off, I'm here for it. <laughs> right. But all around, I loved it. Um, and one of the, one last thing, and then we'll move on, is when he doesn't get in the car, he gets in the cab. As a reader, uh, Crowley gets in. It throws me off the scent because in the book, Crowley and Azriel, Aziraphale kind of go, everything's brought back. My bookshop's brought back. The car is brought back. And Aziraphale and Crowley don't like it. Because they're like, I know, kind of of when he says, like, if I miracle away the stain on the jacket, I'll always know it was there. It's they all, They'll always know that the car was destroyed and it's not real and the bookshop's not real. So they kind of turn away from it in the book. So when I see Crowley not get in the car, I figure later on he's going to explain to Aziraphale and go, yeah, no, that's not my car. My car was destroyed. This is what Adam recreated and I, and my car is gone. I've had it from the beginning. So there's a lot of things that 
for you, it's there. And they also set, lay clues to throw me off the game, if that makes any sense. Yes. But I'm done babbling over Good Omens. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I hope April gets to see it at some point. I hope so, too. And we'll just do some quick hits for the TV shows, only because, like, we're in the middle of a season. Uh, <laughs> I liked Krypton, no, no Lobo this week. Uh, I was sad to see that Seg shaved because I think he's uh, much more handsome when he has a beard than it's a baby face. He looks so much younger when he's clean shaven. He looks like he's 12 when he's clean shaven and he looks like a man when he has his beard. But I just want to say one thing about that, where he ends up sleeping with Lyda uh, Zod again, and he ends up noticing the nosebleeds, and then he sees the woman that he knows that has has obviously been brainwashed, have the nosebleeds, and the logic to get to the situation of how he figures out with the brain scan, he's like, all right, I'm Zod's father, take me with her, I want to see the best specialist you have because he realized that light has probably been uh, brainwashed. And right. if anybody was going to work on Zod's daughter or mother, they were, he was going to use the very best. So he tries to use the files. Obviously Zod has hidden the files. He's like, let me put the specialist in the chair and that you can't hide. Do you know what I mean? That he remembered. I'm like, this is brilliant. And then yep. he looks over his own video and sees that Brainiac's still in there. I'm like, that whole scene is so smart, it's ridiculous. It's maybe, like, it's not too smart that it doesn't belong in this show. Like, they worked really hard to make that scene work, where this is, at the end of the day, a dumb show on the sci-fi channel, Mm -hmm. where they didn't really need to work this hard. Whoever wrote this episode earned their money in the best way possible. Even with Nissa Vex, like the whole thing where she ends up stealing the codex, but she ends up helping while she's stealing the codex. And now we know what she was looking at on her ex-girlfriend's wristband and was looking so worried from a few episodes. Do you know what I mean? Like it has layers on top of layers, but good. It's smart. You have to pay attention, but it's not. I'm a big dumb dumb. I can't follow everything. Right. It's not over your head smart. It's. Mm-hmm. They're working hard to make stuff make sense. Gotcha. Yep. In a dumb show about Superman's grandfather on the sci-fi channel. Yeah, totally. Yes. Right. Uh, but yeah, Krypton's been great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it got picked up for a second season. And you do know, like, we probably won't get much more Lobo that he's probably getting his own series on sci-fi now because of this. Uh, being that... There still, well, there still was Brainiac inside of Seg. Uh, my theory from last week that Brainiac was going to infect Lobo, I'm now on board with that. That's probably the end of Lobo. Right. He thinks he, ki- he probably thinks he killed Brainiac now because he smashed his head in at the end of that episode. Right. That he's going to go off and do his own thing in sci fi. Like they greenlit a Lobo show before this. They probably they looked at how fun Lobo was in the scenes and were like, just do it. Just I go can- for it. I, I could see maybe at least one more Lobo shot to see like a Lobo Doomsday Throwdown. That could be, but yeah, that that that's possible. Right. Uh, Swamp Thing was good. We got a lot more of uh, Blue Devil in this, maybe <laughs> more than we expected. Uh, and that's my least favorite part of the Swamp oh, Thing okay, run so far. Okay. Because everybody else in this in this in this horror show. Has been great, but when he when 
when uh, Ian uh, is is burning from the thing that the Floronic Man put in his uh, fluid and changes him, he looks like Steve Martin in The Jerk running around. Like, do you remember? I try to remember what it was where he's like, uh, uh, like scared. Oh, when they were shooting at the cans, and he's got that weird run. He's like, it all burns. Where everybody else is acting at like a level of ten in this terrible, scary horror. Ian Ziering is doing comedy burning, and I'm like, it just didn't work. Like, I should be horrified at this scene, and I'm like, oh, no, he's not really selling it to me. Other than when he slams on the window, and that scare that was a jump scare. But then after that, I'm like, oh, it's he's. I like him when he's the goofy blue devil. The effect of him smoking was pretty lame, right? Uh, that being said, of course, we did get the awesome effect of Swamp Thing shooting needles into a guy's face. Well, he was punching the trees, and it was shooting needles out of the trees. Right, but he shoots the needles, he shoots the shrapnel into the guy's face, and he has giant shards of wood stuck in his face. That was a great scene. And he lives for way longer than anyone should for having giant shards of wood jammed into their face. Yeah, but it didn't go past the bone, so he's okay. It wasn't in the brain. <laughs> anyway, um, we get a little bit more of maybe Alec figuring out his powers. Abby tells uh, Cable uh, what's going on, that Alec is the Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. But now we get a little bit more of a divide between Matt and his mother because his mother is the police chief. She's sleeping with uh, Sunderland on the side. And we, oh, and we, I forgot to mention about we get to see the Phantom Stranger again make the deal with Blue Devil on the set of the Blue Devil movie. And he looks a little bit more like the Phantom Stranger there in the suit. Yes. The, the, the chubby stranger. <laughs> Right. Uh, and then at the end of the episode is what a lot of people have been waiting for this episode or this show to become, which is horny swamp thing as he like grows a flower out of his hand that like releases some pollen into the air that mm-hmm. makes him appear like regular Alec Holland instead of uh, swampy. Right. I miss from the book where he she ate his fruit. Uh-huh. That I was like, I don't I wonder if why that didn't fly. Here's some of my fruit to eat. <laughs> uh I I still say that we might get that. The, the, the series isn't over yet. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of giving this one a short shrift because I, you know, this is probably my second least favorite episode. We had that monster of the week one from a couple weeks ago. And as Todd mentioned, a lot of Blue Devil in this one. We had wanted Blue Devil, we got Blue Devil, and it wasn't everything it was cracked up to be. Right. I'm hoping when he gets merged with the costume, it'll all be good. Yeah, we see the full effect of the full costume, and he can't take it off, and then he's just Blue Devil all the time. Right. But we'll get there. Uh, And of course, I guess, last but not least, is Spider-Man Far From Home. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. So Spider-Man goes on a European vacation and he fights Mysterio, who is uh, led to believe a good guy. But I always knew he was a bad guy because Mysterio is a bad guy in the comic books. Mm. But, Joe, this is the MC uh, cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. So it could have been different. And also Pete is sad because, oh, and and Todd's dream is finally coming true. 
They are making MCU Spider-Man into new MCU Iron Man. Yes. Your dream has come true. The Dan Slott comics, uh, the boyhood dream of the Dan Slott comic books are becoming your reality. Yes. Give that Dan, give Dan Slott that big check. Uh-huh. Uh, I liked it. It was light, obviously, following Endgame is some big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. I liked Spider-Man Homecoming more. A lot of the relationship e stuff in this, uh, I know they have to do because Spider-Man is a teenager and it's high school stuff and you got to have relationship stuff in there. I enjoyed the Ned and Betty relationship stuff more than the Peter and Mary Jane relationship stuff. Fair enough. Uh, this was this movie actually made Ned tolerable to me. Oh, okay. Because him being. Like, to, like every time he, op- like before he, in the first movie, he was like frumpy and dumb. He, he, he always looked, sounded like a mouth breather when he was, when he was talking, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, Peter, like, remember when you swung into the party and you landed on the table and everybody saw you. And like, I, I even said it when we were talking about when we did the review of the movie, it just seemed like his job was just to say everything we just saw. Where he had the ego of, I have a girlfriend now. And he was saying things like, when you become a man like me, and I'm like, <laughs> that was me in high school with that amount of cockiness, yep. even though I never had the girlfriend. But Oh, sassafras. Sassafras. But, but I, I, so him, his whole storyline was actually cracking me up, um, and, I, and, I, and I like that. I mean, overall, I think this is one of the best Marvel movies that they've done. I love this movie. I love this movie from beginning to end, even with the flaws that I see in it, like becoming the new Iron Man and a couple of other things that they did change uh, when I get to the end. Like, I'm like, okay, that changes the way I look at some things. But overall, I had a blast with this movie. Um, I thought it was great. Um, I'm not a fan of Peter with Iron as Iron Man, like you said, but they... Back in Black by ACDC. So immediately that scene's over for me. That oh, I'm you, like... Oh, you mean by Leonard Skinner? Uh, by Led Zeppelin, you mean. Oh, Led Zeppelin, same difference. That cracked me up. And sitting next to the fancy gentleman, he cackled when that happened. Mm-hmm. When he called it Led Zeppelin. So, um, and I do like it because it's like poetry. It rhymes. Iron Man started with Back in Black. He was listening to it when he got hit with the shrapnel. It ends with Peter you know, going through the thing to back in black. It's poetry because it rhymes, Joe. I, I did like that. But uh, like in the end, I'm not happy with it, but you play back in black over it and I'm, I'm, I'm really good to go on it. Right. And I don't want you or anyone to think that I didn't like this movie because I really did. But I think even the greatest movie in the world, whatever that is to you, whatever your, like Endgame was great. And for this to be the follow-up to Endgame, it just had big shoes to fill. I'm sure mm-hmm. that if I watch this again months from now in a bubble as its own thing, I'll come off loving it more. But I'll give it like, you know, if we're talking like on a scale of 1 to 10, I'll give it like an 8.5, 8.75, you know? Fair enough. But then as we discussed that, I probably had bigger flaws with Endgame than you did, mm-hmm. remember? Mm-hmm. Where I was like, yeah, I'm not a fan of the time travel stuff. So it doesn't hit that kind of mark for me, maybe the way it does for you, where do moving that bar makes it a much better movie for me. And I like, I like the fact as he was swinging around, I'm like, you're using a lot of webbing. You're not running out. And he ends up running out of webbing. And I'm like, I love that. And then at the end of the movie, he ends up stealing the sign for the, for the bridge and making a hammer out of 
uh, thing. So he looks like Cap holding the hammer and the shield at the same time running at Mysterio. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is this is a nice little nod. Um, I, I really did. I loved all of it. And now I'm going to ask the most important question in the in Spider-Man's you know history of movies. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. How is Mysterio the greatest villain that's ever been in a Spider-Man movie? Like, it's not Green Goblin in the first couple. It's not Venom. It's not Sandman. It's not, it's, it's, I know you didn't see the first, I'm too amazing, where you had the lizard and the vulture. And I really like the vulture. But Mysterio, he had charisma. He was a jerk. He, it, it was all like, when he has the superhero persona in the beginning, I'm like, I'm, this is charismatic and I love it, but I know you're Mysterio. And when he turns into the jerk and he's like doing the acting, like he's doing the fake acting over the thing with the hologram. And he's like, yes, I'm fighting this and that. Turn the comm off. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to need that cape because I might be shaking the queen's hand. Do you have it all cleaned up? All right. And then he goes back to like fake superhero. I'm like, I was cracking up. I loved everything about it. And there's no way Mysterio should be the best, best villain we've ever seen in the Spider-Man movie. Okay, so I have to say, first of all, as always, when it comes to Spider-Man and his villains, you're wrong, because when it comes to Spider-Man's villains, Dr. Octopus is number one, Green Goblin is number two, and then all the rest of them are tied for the third best. In the movies? In period. We're talking, I'm just talking about in the movies, like, that they've portrayed in the films. But that like, means, that, and again, so with that, uh, Mysterio is awesome. All of Spider-Man's villains have the potential to be the best. Just in the right hands, they need to be presented in a way to make them the best. On paper, when I just tell you Mysterio is a guy who's a failed special effects guy, wears a fishbowl on his head, you're like, that's terrible. But in the right hands, he could become the best villain ever. When I tell you that Green Goblin is uh, the split personality of Peter Parker's friend's father who rides around in little elf boots on a little sled, you're like, oh, that sounds terrible. But then it can be made into a great story. Dr. Octopus is a fat guy with a bull haircut and he has four robotic arms. That sounds terrible. In the hands of the right rider, all of Spider-Man's villains are the best. Right. So what I'm saying is how did they mess up Doc Ock and Green Goblin and they got Mysterio right? When No, no they didn't. So they didn't mess up. They Green- totally <laughs> messed up Green Goblin and the Doc I'm a. I, everybody says that Spider Man, that Raimi's second Spider Man is amazing. That movie is full of crud. Oh, crud. crud! That whole movie is about Spider Man not telling Mary Jane that he loves her because if I ta- if I reveal my identity to anybody, my family could be hurt. So what's his what's his answer to to, to snapping Doc Ock out of it? Is hey, let me take off my mask and yell, "I'm Peter Parker." Okay, and go, hot garbage. He's that whole... Well, let, wait, wait, relax. Let's deal with the first Raimi Spider-Man first. Because outside of the Power Ranger-looking outfit, which I'll give you a pass on, I thought Willem Dafoe did a very good Green Goblin Norman Osborn. He did a good Norman Osborn. Okay. He did a terrible Green Goblin. I don't love the second Raimi Spider-Man as much as the rest of the world. I think the scene at the end where he saves the above-ground subway car in New York City without wearing his mask, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the people in the train carry him, carry his lifeless corpse from one end of the train to the other, and we're all just going to be in the honor system to keep it a secret that we've seen Spider-Man's face, I think is maybe one of the worst scenes in superhero movie history. Yeah, nobody snaps a photo. Okay. I think the Dr. Octopus stuff is probably the strongest stuff 
uh, in Spider-Man 2. The special effects may not hold up as well, but I think Alfred Molina's performance uh, as Otto and Dr. Octopus, I think, are very, very good. Uh, less said about the Venom and Sandman stuff in Spider-Man 3, the better. That was Raimi admittedly cashing a check, essentially saying, I want to do this kind sp- Sandman story. You want me to give you a Venom story. How about I give you both terribly and the best <laughs> scene of that? How about, and the best scene of that movie? Like, and Raimi, like, has purposely said, like, yeah, I made that movie bad on purpose. What are you going to do? Right. And then the uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies don't exist. They're not real. And then what about the Vulture? Vulture's awesome. I thought uh, Michael Keaton was awesome as the Vulture. Mm-hmm. And I thought uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was awesome as Mysterio. And I liked that in my Marvel Puzzle Quest game. Every once in a while, he'll be fishbowl on and fishbowl off. And when he's fishbowl off, I get to see Jake Gyllenhaal's handsome face. There you go. So best Mar- uh, Spider-Man villain ever in the movies. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. There you go. There you go. So I was right. That's all I can. I just wanted. To, I just wanted to put over the rest of the Spider-Man villains because Spider-Man has the best rogues gallery, uh, other than the Flash. Uh, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. I just want to say, you know, the Flash's rogues gallery is pretty good. Trademark rogues gallery uh, of Flash comics because you know, hey, it should be because it's called the rogues gallery. Spider-Man's still the third best, but and then we'll get to the the two uh, cre- credit scenes. Yeah. The two, uh, you got the mid credits and the post credits, right? The mid credit scene. Let's do it. The post credit scene, you know, it, it's revealed that the, uh, Nick Fury and, uh, uh, what's her face? Robin sparkles from, uh, what's her name? From, Agent uh, Hill. Agent Hill were the scrolls from Captain Marvel. <laughs> right. The, the husband and wife. And, uh, I wonder if there's clues throughout the movie other than the part where Spidey is suggesting all these different people that they could bring in and he mentions Captain Marvel and that they don't mention her name. There's something up there. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking with Adam after the movie and I'm like, because it's all like, Hey, what about this person? They're off planet. What about this one? No good. And they say, what about Captain Marvel? And, and, and he gets visibly mad. He goes, don't invoke her name. So mm-hmm. in the past, like, 20 years or whatever, something has happened to change something with the scrolls and Captain Marvel. Mm. So I don't know what it is, but I feel that there's going to be a rift between, because she ends up saving his people, but there's something now. I think that's a, a big clue as far as I'm concerned. Right. And then we go to actual Nick Fury, who is up on one of the scroll warships. They send him the message that like, hey, we tried to do this thing. There might've been a few snafus with it. And then Nick Fury is like, "All right, people, we gotta like get, we got work to do." So maybe the scrolls are going to be the new shield, Joe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But then we have our mid-credit sequence, which is as Todd mentioned before, how this uh, the Spider-Man movies and the Iron Man movies are like poetry because they rhyme. Uh, Mysterio's last-ditched effort before he died. He sent something to one of his cronies that were off-site, and then his crony did something. Well, what his crony did was faked some footage of Spider-Man being behind all of the attacks that happened and killing Mysterio. But, Todd, no one would really believe that. Spider-Man's an Avenger. He fought alongside Captain America. But what if, Todd, what if that footage got into the hands of someone who maybe had an agenda against Spider-Man? Maybe somebody over at thedailybugle.net, because we get J. Jonah Jameson from the original Raimi Spider-Verse in this movie as Shoot Jonah Jameson. Mm-hmm. 
And um, he, and he says and he says his catchphrase, Spider-Man is a menace. Yes. Which is a great scene if it wasn't spoiled for you. Oh, you had it spoiled on you? Yes, because before I, I was I was uh on social media for a second and someone thought, you know, hey, I'll be clever and I'll write JK Simmons all capitals uh exclamation point. And I'm like, there's only one there's only one like okay, so JK Simmons is in Spider Man, but he's not like and people are gonna be all excited because he's not J. Jonah Jameson. Like I was like, boom, this is this is I'm like, I'm going in. I said, I know he's showing up somewhere and it's probably the post credit scenes. And I was like, as we were watching, I was like, there it is. I thought it was really cool, but uh uh I you know, I just didn't have the impact because that's that's the way I looked at, you know, it being stupid. Even though it wasn't said, there was no way that it wasn't that in the weekend that Spider Man came out. Uh-huh. But, but I didn't I didn't see any of that because I'm good at avoiding spoilers until people text them to me or message them directly to me. Right. But 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 even further still, there was more to the tape, and Joe J, 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 J Jonah Jameson reveals it to the world that Spider-Man is Peter Parker, as Peter Parker is in the middle of Times Square after he just came around swinging around Manhattan with Mary Jane. And that's how the movie ends. Right. Which is a cool scene of Mary Jane. I love that shot of her screaming. Uh-huh. Like, it looks really good. But I just want to say, the henchman who stooged off the news of uh, Mysterio, mm-hmm. you know how they did that shot of he he was the guy who Obadiah Stane yells at in Iron Man 1 to get the arc reactor up and running because Tony got this working in a cave in, you know, the desert. Right. That was the actual actor who played that part from Iron Man 1. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you know who the actor is? No, I can't think of his name right now. Peter Billingsley. What? Yes, and he was some sort of producer on the first Iron Man movie. I knew he was a producer on the first Iron Man movie. That's uh, that's, uh, not Ralphie. What's his name? From Uh, uh, Christmas Story. Yes, it is Ralphie. Oh, that's right, Ralphie. Yeah, yeah. Randy is the younger, the younger brother. Yes. So Ralphie. I, because I, I ended up, I was like, you know what? I have to, I have to look and I'm, I'm looking at an article right now. Um, he's like, uh, and they do the flashback with everything. And they're like, was he from the first movie? It was true. And it was like, the characters played by Peter Billingsley, who was also Ralphie Parker from Christmas story. Uh, the 48 year old is a close friend of John Favreau. Hence when he appeared in a handful of the filmmakers projects, stuff like that. So he was, and Billingsley even had an executive producer credit for Iron Man. So that's actually fantastic. Yep. So I just, I thought you might like to know that it was Peter Billingsley. That's pretty cool. Yep. So all in all, I love Spider-Man. I'm not doing my list. I'm never doing my list again of the Marvel movies because it brought too much heat to me on Twitter. I can't, I can't do it. Oh my goodness, Todd. Mm -hmm. You're a regular heat magnet. I am. There we go. Is there anything else? No, I think that's it. I think that's everything. Yes, I agree. All right, everyone. It's been a long one, but there's been a lot to go over. Thank you very much for listening to episode 458 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Woo!